It's a great privilege for me to be here at St. Thomas. I was a seminarian in 2016. I was here for the summer and got to know this church pretty well. Spent a lot of time in here and got to know lots of wonderful families and fell in love with so many things here. So I was just a baby seminarian when I came and I was ordained just a couple of, couple of months ago to the transitional diaconate. So now I'm just a baby deacon coming back. And then, hopefully, God willing, next summer, I'll be ordained a priest for the Diocese of Boise. So everyone is invited and welcome to come down to the cathedral for that ordination next year. And for this summer, I was asked to help the vocations director, Father Nathan Dale, with vocations work throughout the summer. So I'll be going back to the seminary in the fall, but I had a summer here in the diocese. So they asked me to, to travel with him and go to camps and go to different parishes. And so I've been blessed to do that. And I've come here with jo Joseph and Ronald, two seminarians. And after, after Mass, we'll have a social out here in the lawn that the Sarah Club is putting on for us. So we'll have coffee and donuts out there. And people have asked me, you know, are you the, are you the, vocations, uh, um, are you the assistant vocations director? And I said, no, I'm not the assistant vocations director. I'm the assistant to the vocations director. So I've been thinking about this a lot. What, what does it look like to cultivate, to nurture a, a culture of priestly and religious vocations in the diocese? And of course, we know that that starts in the home. The faith is not primarily tra transmitted from one generation to the next in the church, in the church, in the parish, in the diocese. It's primarily in the home. If that's being cultivated in the home, then what happens in the church can enhance that. And that's true for the faith in general, but that's also true for priestly and religious vocations. And we've had a couple of saints this week that can really show us how to do that. We had Saints Joachim and Anna on Tuesday. They're the grandparents of Jesus, the parents of Mary. Who better to teach us how to cultivate that home than them? Also yesterday, the feast of Solanus Casey, blessed Solanus Casey, a native of the United States who was just beatified a couple of years ago. He died in the 50s. He was a Capuchin friar. He was the sixth of 16 children, and he also had two diocesan, two priests who were diocesan, two brothers who were diocesan priests. So three of the 16 became priests. We also know of the parents of Therese of Lisieux, Louis and Zelie Martin, saints. They had five daughters, and all five of them entered, religi entered religious life. Now this is true for the saints, the canonized saints, but there are also lots of examples in our midst. There's a family down in, in southern Idaho, eastern Oregon, in that area, that they have four children, and two of them entered priesthood and religious life. One is a priest, and becoming a priest is a transitional deacon, and the other is a religious sister. And there are example, examples of this abound everywhere. So I've really been paying attention. What does it look like to cultivate this culture at home, to nurture this culture at home? And I'll share a couple of things that I've gleaned in this homily, but it starts with love in the home, it starts with love within family members, love within parents, husband and wife to each other, and husband and wife with the Lord. First of all, the relationship between the parents and the Lord, that's the foundation for everything. And then out of that flows the love between husband and wife between each other, and then also between them and their, parent, and their, their children. And so that provides that rich soil for that to be cultivated. And here's a a, an image that has become something of an icon for me. Last summer I went to a family's house in the Grangeville area 
And I was, I was blessed to walk into the house at the same time that the mother was walking in after she had been gone for a little over a week. She'd gone out of state to visit family. And she was coming back, and I walked into the house at the same time as her. And so I witnessed the, the, the scene that unfolded, which was something like this. All eight children dropped everything that they were doing and ran to the door, ran to greet her. And they proceeded to share, after showering her with hugs and kisses, they proceeded to share everything that had been happening with them in their lives with her. All the joys that they were having, the fun that they were having, the work that they were doing, what was going on with the animals, all the fights that they were getting into as siblings, good siblings do. And they were sharing all of this with her. And she was just there receiving it and rejoicing with them and feeling their pain with them. I think about 30 minutes went by before they even realized that I was in the room. So whatever it is that we can do to cultivate, to nurture that loving environment at home, that relationship, those relationships between parents to, with each other, between parents and children, and all of that grounded in the relationship with the Lord, that's the first thing that we can do to promote priestly and religious vocations in the home because this is the foundation for the Christian life. Now I'll share a couple of practical things for those that are interested. One is the vocations office just started a newsletter, Idaho Vocations monthly newsletter that we'll send out over email every month. And so you can go on the vocations page, facebook.com slash Idaho vocations, and you can subscribe to that newsletter and follow that Facebook page with lots of content, both for discerners, those who are discerning themselves, but also those that are wanting to help others discern, whether in their own home, in their parish, or friends and family members, and also upcoming events. So all of that will be published through those outlets. And also we're gonna have a social out here, as I mentioned, so please do come out and visit with us. Now, with those couple of practical things out of the way, here's what I wanna focus on is what does he, excuse me, what does salvation mean? Because that's, of course, what we're all longing for, what we're after, what, the, what, why we're here in church. We're wanting to receive the salvation that Jesus has purchased for us with his, own, with his own body on the cross. So how do we receive that? And one angle to consider comes from the very word itself, the word salvation. If you pray the rosary, you know at the end of the rosary, there's that beautiful prayer that starts with, let us pray. O God, whose only begotten Son, by his life, death, and resurrection, has purchased for us the rewards of eternal, and sometimes we hear life, rewards of eternal life. Sometimes we hear rewards of eternal salvation. So there are two, trans two translations there. And the reason is because the word salus in Latin can be translated as either life or salvation. It can also be translated as health. Salus health, salud in Spanish, salve, healing salve. That's the same, same word, same root. So salvation, life, and healing, all of these things are inherently connected. You can, we can even say they're all one. The Lord just doesn't just fish us out of this world and, 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 and leaves us in our brokenness, but then fishes us out into heaven. That's not the Christian life. That's not Christian salvation. What the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing is He's coming down, the second person of the Trinity, coming down to heaven, 
He did that 2,000 years ago and he does it every day in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. He comes in, he gives himself to us in the Eucharist. He enters into our lives, into our hearts, into our very bodies. And he heals us from within. He transforms us from within. In doing so, he is saving us and leading us into eternal life, leading us to the Father, leading us to heaven. So that's primarily what we want to focus on, even in regards to children, to raising our children, even in regards to cult nurturing a culture of vocations at home, is our own healing and our own salvation. There is a podcast that I recommend called Restore the Glory. It's from the John Paul II Healing Institute out in Florida that has been a big part of my life and my forma formation. And in that podcast, I wrote down a couple of important lines. One of them, Jake Kim said this, as a parent, one of the best things you can do for your, ch for your kids is for your heart to be free. And Dr. Bob responded, all the time I, people come to me and they notice that there are wounds in their hearts and their, their hurts and they become afraid and they start to think, well, how can I make sure that I don't pass this on to my own children? Now that I've received these hurts from my, from my own parents, now how, how do I not pass this on to my own children? Or now that I have already hurt my children, now that I'm recognizing this, how do I fix them? And in response he says, in both cases, my response is, as long as you keep focusing on fixing them, you are going to perpetuate it, to perpetuate the hurt. But if you walk into and deal with the wounds in your own heart, then what you are going to pass on is grace. So that's the invitation from the Lord to walk into our own hearts with the Holy Spirit to receive His healing salve, His healing balm, in so doing to be saved and therefore to pass on grace to others. Now how does this work? How, what is the mechanics of this healing? There's no doctrinal definition. There's no declaration from a council. There are many different angles, many different approaches. And so I'm going to share just one of them, again, from this healing institute that has been helpful to me. And the angle is this. We get hurt, first of all, because we've received, we're descendants of Adam and Eve who committed original sin. And their sin has been perpetuated generation after generation after generation. And so we're, bor we're born into this brokenness, into this mess, into this condition. Then on top of that, our own parents are not perfect. None of us have, have had as perfect pe parents as Jesus did in Our Lady. So none of our parents are perfect. So we received some sort of hurt from them whether that's trauma or neglect or abuse or divorce or death, whatever it is, and whether it's something really stark or something more gradual over time, whatever it was, whatever it is, that trauma left an imprint in our hearts. So that's painful enough. But where the damage really happens is, what, is, what, is in what happens next. The enemy gets in there 
and he proposes a lie to us based on that particular wound. And he may say, you are not worthy. You are not lovable. You are not good enough. You don't deserve God's love. And the, that lie can have a number of different variations, but in one way or another, the enemy is trying to convince us of that, to perpetuate the lie that he sold to Adam and Eve. So now he's, he's attempting to sell that to us. I'll share an example from my own life. My father died when I was young, when I was very young. So I grew up without a father. So the first understanding in my, my, my little understanding of reality and of relationships, my own understanding is that my father left me. My father is distant. My father is not present. I am unlovable. That already becomes my, the projection that I have towards God the Father. The Father is distant. God the Father is not present. God the Father is not close to me. He does not love me. So the trauma, then the lie, then we do something in order, in order to protect ourselves, to no longer perpetuate these hurts. We make vows. We say, I will now earn love. I will now make sure that I don't get hurt again. I will now control my relationships and keep them at an arm's length. Because if they get too close, they might leave and I would be really hurt. Defensiveness, distance, workaholism, perfectionism, all of these different vows that we make in order to not get hurt. In the Lord's healing plan of salvation, He wants to not only correct our actions at the surface level, the actions that we make out of those vows, we start working too much, we get greedy, we heard all these things in these readings, attaching to possessions, being self-sufficient, creating our own little world that we can be our, the kings of and the queens of. So the Lord doesn't just want us to stop doing those things at the surface. He wants to break apart those vows. He wants to renounce those lies. And He wants to go all the way to the bottom and heal the wound at its root. In doing that, then He transforms us into images of His Son. Now there's a temptation for preachers, especially for young preachers, for baby preachers like myself, to preach too long. But this is my only weekend here, so I'm going to keep going. The caution, even in regards to this system, is that we can become attached to a particular view of salvation that helps us. And we can cling to that too strongly. I noticed that in myself in regards to the John Paul II Healing Center. And we may all have different spiritualities or worldviews or practices of the faith or this saint or that saint or this expression or that expression. And we know that that has helped us and so then we cling to that and we become really attached to it. And then we want to share it with others. If only enough other people believe what I believe in regards to how we're saved, then we're all going to be on a good page and we're all going to grow together. 
But you notice that's just another vow. If only I can build a strong enough fortress and get enough of my friends to join me in building this fortress, then I won't get hurt. Then the hurt won't be perpetuated. So even that can be a vow. So we want to come before the Lord, come before the altar at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, present these obstacles, these vows to the priest, and the priest unites them to his sacrifice, offering the Son to the Father, removing them from our hearts so that we can go forward in living in the freedom of being his children living as his sons and daughters, dependent not on ourselves, but on the Father. Here's a quote from Jean Carbone, who wrote the section in the Catechism on prayer. He wrote, If we consent in prayer to be flooded by the river of life, our entire being will be transformed. We will become trees of life and be increasingly able to produce the fruit of the Spirit and we will love with the very love that is our God. That's the thread in every saint, every mystic, every century, every corner of the globe in which Catholicism has reached. To go through the sacraments, through the liturgy, not instead of them, I'm giving my life in order to give the sacraments to others to go through them to the Father in prayer with the Lord, to consent to Him to transform us so that we become trees of life and love others with the love that is our God. I'll bring us back to that image from the beginning of that family, that mother coming home, I'll name her Mary. She came home and everybody came to her and started sharing their hearts with her. And she noticed that they weren't asking her to fix anything for them or even asking her for answers. Now that's fine, that's fine to do, I do it myself. We're sons of God, we're daughters of God, we are dependent on the Father. So we come to Him with our problems and with our questions. But fundamentally what they were doing is they were just sharing their hearts with her, and she was there receiving it. The youngest, little Bernadette, got tired of seeing her older siblings have, all, have her mom's attention, so she walked across the room, grabbed the chair, dragged the, dragged the chair across the room and placed it behind her, and gently pressed on her legs so that she would sit down on the chair. And when she did, she climbed onto her lap. Now she was at peace resting on her mother's lap. That's the invitation for us with Our Lady. Jesus on the cross said to us, take her into your home, and we too can climb onto her lap and rest in her arms and dwell, notice a little Bernadette at peace, at rest, dwelling in her father's house. That's the biblical phrase so often repeated, to dwell in the house of the Father. So we're first of all in that icon, in that living icon, in that image. We're not first of all parents or even siblings. We're first of all little Bernadette climbing onto her mother's lap. What did Jesus say? 
Unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So just remember Jake's phrase in regards to parenting and to nurturing a culture of vocations at home. One of the best things you can do for your kids is for your heart to be free. And we do this by going to the Lord, by going to Our Lady, by focusing not on the things of this world, but in the words of St. Paul, if you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.